back again with another episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It is Monster Kid Radio. This is episode 507. I am your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. And the song you're listening to right now is called What a Great Night for Fright. It is from the band The Mighty Minnows. They are based out of Saskatchewan and they gave us permission to play this song on this episode of the podcast. It comes from their album Monster Jam, which you can find at themightyminnows.bandcamp.com. Of course, as always, there will be a link in the show notes and you'll hear the song in its entirety without me yakking over it at the end of the show. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to an episode that I've been wanting to do for a long time because I've been wanting to talk to this week's guest for a very, very long time. Listeners, you guys and gals know that I've been podcasting for a while. I've been doing this for over 10 years, but I had a podcast before I did Monster Kid Radio where I talked about nothing but zombie movies, and it was a lot of fun. And back then, the movie podcast landscape, especially when it came to horror and science fiction, just basically genre stuff, it was a little different. There weren't nearly as many shows out there, and there was one show that I remember in particular that I always wanted to do stuff with. For some reason, my old podcast, Mail Order Zombie, never did anything with the podcast horror, etc. I used to joke that, you know, they were just the one podcast that was on my bucket list of people that I wanted to connect with and maybe do something with, and it just never happened. Not really sure why. But finally, finally, after all of this time, I get to chat with one of the co-hosts of Horror Etc. Now, Horror Etc., it's not an active podcast anymore, and Mail Order Zombie is certainly not an active podcast anymore, but that doesn't mean that Anthony D.P. Mann of the Horror Etc. podcast isn't as busy, if not more so. And well, you know, I'm still doing the podcasting game over here. So I got a chance to talk to Anthony D.P. Mann. That was a very long-winded way of introducing who I'm talking to this time around, isn't it? Anyway, Anthony's a great guy. I had a great time chatting with him and it was a great conversation. It wasn't even an interview because really I had some ideas of things that I wanted to talk about, but all I had to do was mention something and he just took off and did all of my work for me. So he still has a little bit of podcaster in his blood. He managed to pull it off. He didn't even need me here. And I appreciated that because it was just like listening to an old episode of horror, etc. I hope you guys and gals enjoy the conversation as much as I did. I guess listening to it and kind of guiding it a little bit. And we did play a round of the classic five. So that did happen. That was a lot of fun too, because I love playing that card game with new people on the show. People that have not heard every single question more than once. It's great to hear different points of view when it comes to this stuff. Now, we didn't just reminisce about old podcasting. We talked about Anthony's movie career. He's had five movies. You can pick them up either on DVD or check them out on streaming. And he's got another one in the works. And, you know, I reached out to him because I wanted to help spread the word about his upcoming movie, Bug-Eyed Monsters Invade the Earth. There is an open crowdfunding campaign for it right now over at Indiegogo. Yes, link in the show notes. Anthony took some time out of his day to talk to me a little bit about that, as well as the rest of the stuff that he's got going on, so that's coming up. Now, of course, it's not an episode of Monster Kid Radio without at least two segments. We've got Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Really enjoyable segment this time around. Not that the other ones aren't enjoyable, too, but yes, I really like the approach that he took on this one. I think you guys and gals will dig it, too. And, of course, we've got the Beta Capsule Review with Mark Madsky. Still knocking it out of the park, still doing the Ultra Q, and... 
<sighs> you know what? It's happening. I'm going to announce it now. In two weeks, Mark Matsky will be here on the show to talk about a movie. I have never talked with him about a movie here on the show. I've chatted with him in person a couple of times at Monster Bash over the years. And of course we communicate online and that sort of thing. But this is going to be the first time that I've actually had him in my guest seat on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk about The Legend of Boggy Creek with him. I know that movie's very special to him. And I can't wait, man, for that episode to run. So in two weeks, that's coming up. Stay tuned. But until then, you've got the Beta Capsule Review, which we're going to get to, as well as Kenny's segment, and a little bit of feedback right after this. Dracula is back. In the first now Dracula movie, Dracula A.D. 1972. And with this new motion picture, an unrivaled event, horror ritual. You will participate with a Transylvanian vampire himself, swearing you in as an honorary member of the Count Dracula Society. He comes back from the living dead to extend you his personal invitation. Join me in the horror ritual. You heard it with your own ears from his blood-red lips. Get your honorary membership card when you see the new Dracula movie, Dracula A.D. 1972, and participate in the horror ritual. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. The invisible barrier between good and evil. Equinox. The weird, the occult, the supernatural. Before your very eyes. As four teenage boys and girls challenge a devil cult fight a fearsome prehistoric monster to save their lives, their sanity, their immortal souls. Equinox, in supernatural color. Mysterious beings from another world. Unholy overlords with their fiendish, diabolical mind machine. Fantastic invasion of planet Earth. A mind-bending voyage in 3D. Fantastic invasion of planet Earth. A thrilling science fiction adventure in widescreen 3D space vision. Fantastic invasion of planet Earth. Rated PG. Don't miss What number is this? What am I calling? Well, you're in the feedback discussion section of Monster Kid Radio. We had an email come in from friend of the show, Alistair Hughes. And dude, I really need to connect with you about getting you back on here to talk about a movie. You know which one it is. Anyway, hey, Monster in the Machine, read the email. Hi, Derek, and the Monster in the Machine. I just wanted to write and tell you how much I enjoyed your Bamboo Saucer episode with Tim Durbin. As I might have mentioned before, When I was very young I often needed one of my parents to stay up and watch a scary movie with me because I both loved, but also dreaded being terrified by whatever I might see on our little TV screen. A reassuring adult presence in the room always seemed to help. But I guess it's that delicious mix of relish and hellish which made us all monster kids. Anyway, The Bamboo Saucer was probably the very first late-night sci-fi film which my mother ever stayed up to watch with me, although I recall she was quite frank in her opinion afterwards and didn't thank me for it. The movie itself seems so obscure now that I might have forgotten about it altogether, or even thought I had dreamed it, except somehow the quirky name stuck with me. 
If this film succeeded in one thing, at the very least it came up with a memorable title. As to the story itself, I have vague memories of some kind of artificial centrifugal force pinning our hero and heroine to the walls of the saucer as it reactivated, I recall it feeling similar to the Star Trek photon torpedo hit method of physical acting. And most thrillingly, I remember the saucer finally lifting off. For this film to have stayed in my mind for so many many years must say something for it, and it was a real treat to hear you and Tim bring some more long-buried memories of it back to life for me. As ever, please keep up the wonderful work, and wonderful guests. And remember, always check your saucers. Al. Okay. Favorite part of this email. I appreciate you sharing your memories of watching this with your mother. I appreciate the kind words about the show. But my favorite part is that sentence, but I guess it's that delicious mix of relish and hellish which made us all monster kids. That is classic. I love that. And okay, you know, not to downplay the memories that you shared with us. That's awesome. I wish I had those kinds of memories watching these classic monster movies with my family. The closest that I get is watching the Star Wars films with my mother. And it's just the newer films. It's something that we did and made a point of doing every time that a new Star Wars movie came out. But yeah, man, I'm jealous. And wow, that's just so cool. The movie itself, you know what? Is it overly memorable? Probably not. I, I mean, it's a good film, but it doesn't have a monster per se. It doesn't have that exciting alien versus the earth type stuff. But, you know, it's it's just cool. I really dug it. So I was really happy that Tim wanted to talk about it here on the show. Alistair is a man behind the book Info Gothic. Link in the show notes, of course. If you're a fan of Hammer films, you need to get your hands on this book. It is phenomenal. Al. Thanks for writing in, brother. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please, come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. More frightening than the war of the worlds. More prophetic than things to come. More imaginative than the time machine. Now, H.G. Wells' masterpiece of science fiction, The Food of the Gods. The terrifying tale of man fighting for his life 
against an ecology gone berserk. Marjo Gortner, Pamela Franklin, the last chance an unsuspecting world has against harmless animals and insects made huge and vicious by the food of the gods, hunting humans in packs, preying on their flesh, the food of the gods. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. The food of the gods for a taste of hell. Good evening, monster kids. This is the Count. I'm here with some friends to tell you about our favorite board and card game podcast. It's Go Forth and Game. Tom and Ryan talk about all things gaming with special emphasis on interviews with game designers and publishers. What do you think about this, my tall, gaunt friend? Go forth, game! Good! And what about you, my undead comrade? I think Go Forth and Game is the most entertaining podcast about board and card games that I've come across in 4,522 years. So, if you enjoy listening to two monster kids discuss topics like abstract games, the best family games, game schooling, various game mechanics, and of course, monster-themed games, then you should give Go Forth and Game a try. That's GoForthAndGame.com, available on iTunes and Spotify. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. are going to look at films with article-length features in FM 34 from August of 1965. Three new films were covered, proving that 1965 was a banner year for Monster Kids. Let's see if you can figure out which classics were covered. This issue featured a supposed Mr. Hyde on the cover, painted by Morris Whitman, though it did not look like any movie Hyde I recognized. Here is the write-up for the first film, which filled five pages with three photos. Do you recognize it? Hint, an important part of the title is featured in the write-up. They coupled it with Boris Karloff's Corridors of Blood. They asked, how much shock can your nerves stand? They called it a new high in horror. The school in school, half of the double bill in Nervarama. When the moon was high in the sky, terror exploded. What was the terrifying secret of the unseen monster? The bloodthirsty, kill-crazy creature that brought death in the dark and then disappeared without a trace? A forest of fear. A dormitory in the thrall of the unknown as a mysterious shadow cast a spell of terror. And a heart-stopping ending with the unmasking of the one person no one would ever suspect as the secret killer. These were the promises made the audiences of... Did you guess it? Werewolf in a Girl's Dormitory. Now, if that classic didn't get your monster kid blood boiling, 
Wait till you hear about the next classic, which mirrored its seven blood-dipped pages haunted by nine frightening photos. The whole movie was given away in its synopsis, which opens with this paragraph. Can you guess the title before I get to it? We've been hearing about this film for a couple of years. If memory serves us right, it was made partly in Yugoslavia. It's already been released in Latin America, where they called it the Island of Terror. Now, about to be shown in the USA, you'll see it as... Horrors of Spider Island. I do not want to wreck any of that movie by reading a part of its plot. You must see it for yourself. Next up, a trip to Italy with a four-page, three-photo look at a classic sword and sandal pick. Here is the write-up for that movie. The Italian Superman of the past, our hero, has fought human vampires, faceless men, even gone to hell. Now we have the newest movie. It all begins in the ancient city of Samar, when an enormous ball of fire appears in the sky and smacks into the earth. Shortly thereafter, strange beings appear in the mountain near Samar, strange beings of stone. The queen of the stone men, Salini, lies in a mysterious trance, and it is believed that the only way to revive her is for a royal youth who resembles her to be sacrificed. Gladius, prime minister of Samar, does not like the way things are going and sends for the only man capable of combating the menace of the stone men, our hero. Before he can prevent it, a young girl, Billis, is captured by the stone men. When our hero attempts to rescue her, he himself is set upon by the stone men and taken in chains to the subterranean chambers beneath the palace of Samar, where Billis is being prepared for sacrifice. But our hero escapes and saves Billis. The stars in their courses approach a mystical conjunction. Will their stellar rays and vibrations bring Queen Selene back to life? See the picture and you will see a lot of action and learn the answer to this and other questions. I'm sure you all know that we are talking about Machiste versus the Stone Men on just about everyone's top 10,000 films you should see before you die. The last film takes us back to 1959 and gives the ladies a chance to shock and shriek. Which film is it? Hint, it is the inspiration for a classic five question. An insane rampage of death and destruction. The penalty? The forbidding fate of the man in the half-moon street. Of she who must be obeyed. Of the woman who dared to leave Shangri-La. She withered and died. She was Colleen Gray in Universal International's 1959 horror film. In it, she aged from a beautiful young woman of 25 through 35 to 65 and eventually became on screen an old hag of 85. Commented Colleen, It was my most difficult role. Some days I didn't remember if I should be trembling with age or vibrating with youth. That can only be the leech woman. Is it better than wasp woman? There is no wrong answer. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. <laughs> Kenny, I don't know if you were being serious about Horrors of Spider Island. I I don't know if I'd, I'd call it 
you know, something you have to, you know, maybe you do have to see it for yourself, actually. It's something that I've been trying to figure out a way to show at the Monster Kid Movie Club on Saturday. It is in the public domain, so I can get away with it. I just am trying to figure out a way to kind of present it because lately I've been doing a lot of like themed shows like this weekend. We're doing Frankenstein movies all day. So I'm trying to find a way to slot Horrors of Spider Island into the mix. So, yeah. That one we'll talk about here in the near future on the show. However, there is a movie that you mentioned that we have talked about here on the show, I think. You mentioned that Machiste movie versus the Stone Men or Men of Stone. I think that's actually an alternate title for the movie, or maybe this title is the alternate for that one. Hercules Against the Moon Men, which is something that we have talked about here on the show back in 2017, episode 334, with Chris McMillan from The Shadow Over Portland. I don't remember much about the film other than it had some cool looking moon men slash stone men. This was back when we did a sword and sandals month on monster kid radio. I think we did that during a September. Yeah, that makes sense because this episode came out in September. That was fun. And I think I even have a uh, t-shirt for sale in the T public shop sporting the design for the Hercules against the moon men poster that I did for that episode where it says podcast against the moon men. Uh, it's, it's fun. Anyway, check that out. If you're interested in picking up a t-shirt and supporting monster kid radio that way. And I'll make sure there's a link to episode 334 in the show notes. If you don't want to go through the archives, if you want to hear what I thought about Hercules against the moon men, because I clearly don't remember. <laughs> also listeners, make sure you tune into the monster kid movie club this Saturday because Kenny whipped up something special for you guys and gals. It's pretty cool and not something i expected so when it turned up in my messages uh man it's cool i think you'll dig it horrors of spider island eight beautiful girls and one lone man struggling for survival with death sudden violent and horrible lurking in the shadows Horrors of Spider Island. Out of the night came a fate worse than death. A man's mind twisted, his brain poisoned, with an uncontrollable lust to kill. Spider Island. A tale of terror that will leave you limp. So hideous and shocking, you won't believe your eyes. His hunger for victims was never satisfied. to be frightened out of your wits by the horrors of Spider Island. It's the Moon Men. <coughs> the supernatural and the real clash in a world of horror. 
Your power will be equal to ours. You will possess all the riches of the world. But remember that there is still one task you must carry out. Kill Hercules. the risk I'm taking. All you'd have to do is reach out a hand and take me by the throat and break my neck the way you'd break the stem of a flower. Why don't you do it? He mustn't get out of the palace alive. Kill him! My queen, the people are marching against the palace. Order all of your archers to man the walls of the palace. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. At this point in Ultra Q, it seems as though Ipe, Yuriko, and June can't go anywhere without stumbling into an encounter with aliens, or monsters, or both. In episode 21, Space Directive M774, it's both. This installment, which premiered May 22, 1966, finds the trio on a pleasure cruise enjoying a friendly game of cards when Yuriko is contacted by an alien through a baby doll. The alien, who goes by the name of Zemi, warns of an impending attack by a monster named Bostan. June and Ipe tease Yuriko when she recounts her story, but they soon learn for themselves that her account was truthful when Bostong, which resembles a giant manta ray, begins attacking ships at sea. Alien Zemi keeps providing helpful information, but one wonders, what's her motivation for doing so? Space Directive M774 is a mixed bag. The script was apparently modified numerous times, what remains is an intriguing story hampered by visual effects that are simply not up to par with the standard the show had set for itself. Specifically, Bostong never looks like anything more than a rubber manta ray toy, and the sound it makes is more squeak than roar. Be that as it may, the story is significant in that it introduces the concept of an alien that is kindly disposed towards humanity on planet Earth, and take steps to act in its defense. Which, as you are probably aware, is the central conceit at the heart of Ultraman, Subaraya Productions' next project, which at this point was well into the pre-production stage. Keep watch for the Coast Guard captain played by Susumu Fujita, one of Akira Kurosawa's favorite character actors who played key roles in the classic films The Hidden Fortress, Yojimbo, and High and Low and was a police chief in Ishiro Honda's Frankenstein Conquers the World. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. I'm so glad I'm not the only person who feels this way about that episode. I feel like the previous episode is so strong, you know. This one is such... 
I hate to use the word disappointment when it comes to Ultra Q, but it's really not one of the more satisfying episodes. So I'm glad to hear that I'm not the only one. I know that we're getting closer and closer to Ultraman. Can't wait to dive into that. And if I haven't already communicated this enough on just this episode of the podcast, if not in previous episodes, I can't wait to talk to you about Legend of Boggy Creek, my friend. That's going to be awesome. Here, in this primitive river-bottom wilderness in southern Arkansas, along with deer, duck, crane, and beaver, lurks a creature that walks upright. Whether it is a man, a monster, or a myth, no one really knows. What we do know is the people around Falk, Arkansas, say they have seen such a creature nearly 250 times since 1954. And that this creature, whatever it is, emits one of the most terrifying sounds ever recorded. Seven wonders of the world rolled into one fantastic adventure. Frankenstein, born again to rule in terror. A monster unleashed to conquer all who stand in his destructive path. Frankenstein conquers the world. Stars Nick Adams as the American scientist versus Frankenstein, incarnate. With the strength of a thousand men, a phenomenon such as never seen before. See Frankenstein Conquers the World, astounding on the giant screen, also on the same program. Tarzan, man of the jungle, with only a lion, a leopard, and a chimp as his army. Can they conquer the hired killers of the dealer in death? Cy Weintraub presents Tarzan and the Valley of Gold. With Mike Henry and Nancy Kovac in Panavision and Color from American International Pictures. Listeners, the person that I have on the show this week is somebody that I've been wanting to talk to for years. And just in this little pre-warm-up bit that I was talking with him before I hit record, he seems incredibly nice. And I'm kicking myself now for having never reached out to him before. I'd like to welcome Anthony DP, man, to Monster Kid Radio. How are you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing great, Derek. Actually, you know what? I've been sitting waiting by the phone for you to call for years. So this is perfect. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. It's a great program and, uh, and and a great community. So this is exciting for me, too. My background with you, if you can call it a background, I've had you in my ears for years because you used to be one of the men behind the Horror Etc. podcast many, many moons ago. That's right. And you're right. It was many, many moons ago. It feels that way. In the late 2000s, I think it was I think it was 2007, 2008, Kingstown Ted, who is a dear friend of mine, and we're still great friends, reached out and said, hey, do you listen to these podcast things? And I said, uh, I, I have no idea what a podcast is, because this, of course, was before the boon of podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. Now everybody everybody does a show there. I mean, most of them aren't nearly as good as Monster Kid Radio. Ah. But, um, <laughs> you know, but but most, you know, there, there are so many, there's a proliferation of them. But there wasn't like 12, 13 years ago. 
And so uh, I, I listened to a couple of these things that, that Ted had recommended, and I thought, yeah, yeah, we could do this. Because at the time, I, I was hosting a television show, and I, I had done radio, and uh, broadcast was always something that interested me. And and Ted's a very smart guy, very, very well-spoken. He's got a bit of a, of a communications background as well. So we thought, you know, we can do something like this and maybe do it a little bit better than some of the stuff that we were hearing. So we, we recorded an episode, and I thought, oh, maybe 25 people will listen to this. But by the... By, I guess, the second or third year, we were in the thousands, thousands of subscribers that were listening to the uh, the Horror Etc. podcast, which was, was a great name. It was I take no credit for that. That was that was all Ted's idea. He said, let's keep it simple so people know what they're getting into. And uh, and, and that's something that I've stuck with. And he was right. And, and we had 370 some odd episodes to date. The show was laid to rest in its weekly format several years ago, but we still get together now and then and do a new show. And And I'm pretty confident. I've said never too many times. Uh, so I, I'm never going to say never again. And, you know, I think we'll continue to do the occasional one-off as time goes by. But over those years, Derek, you know, just the, the, the wonderful community that we met and we assembled, people like yourselves and, and, and like Bill Bossard, who um, I, I wouldn't have a film career uh, if you want to call it that, uh, were it not for Bill Bossert, who was a listener to the the Horror Etc. podcast, and some other wonderful people that I met. Not to mention the celebrities. Uh, Robert England was on the show, Sid Haig, Peter Straub, Lance Henriksen, just just amazing, amazing people, wonderful opportunity. And um, I, I didn't realize at the time that it would actually have a legacy because there, there is a horror, et cetera, legacy, which blows my mind because it was a couple of guys who would be having these conversations, whether the microphone was there or not, talking about horror and the things that we loved. And, uh, uh, you know, looking back, it, it was hard work, uh, but it was a lovely time with Ted and, and also uh, sometimes Doug our occasional uh, guest co-host uh, who I'm still in touch with and we occasionally get together for a film as well. So yeah, happy memories, Derek. Happy memories. Well, uh, you know, as a listener too, and then as a fellow podcaster back then, I was doing the Mail Order Zombie podcast back then. So it was right. like a long time ago. Uh, and you know, I've joked about this before that podcasting years are kind of like dog years, you know? They, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, yes. The, the way that kind of works. But I, I loved the show. I had a lot of fun listening to it. You mentioned the Robert England, and I was going to bring that up because that was actually one of my favorite episodes. When you had Robert <laughs> England on there and you were talking about Phantom of the Opera, uh, yes. which I think never really got enough attention as a film. I, I really enjoyed that movie back then. So I, I love that film too. And, and it's actually my favorite adaptation of Phantom of the Opera. Well, aside oh, wow. from my own. But it, it is my favorite uh, film version of, uh, of the Phantom of the Opera. And uh, and it was it was so cool. Robert England was, we were supposed to have 15 minutes with him and we got about an hour and a half and we ended the call because he was wonderful. He was, he was curled up in bed with his dogs. He was so chatty and he was the nicest, nicest fellow. We couldn't even get a word in half the time. And, and that was amazing. He himself, the icon for horror fanboys and fangirls is himself a fanboy and, and a movie lover and loves the genre. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world uh, and, and certainly a very happy memory. Oh, for sure. And the community that kind of builds around these things, it's amazing. And I've joked about this here on the show as well, that, you know, I'd be sitting here talking to myself about monster movies all day. It just so <laughs> happens that I hit record on the microphone and, you know, I get it from the show. So I, I totally understand, man. And <laughs> following your career, I'm going to call it a career. It's sure. been interesting to see you go from horror, etc., to filmmaker, actor, writer, doing a lot of other audio projects. It's amazing to see you go from a couple of guys sitting around a microphone talking about horror movies to working with some of these icons and, and 
becoming an icon yourself. I mean, you were in a Dracula movie. You made a Dracula movie, man. You know, you're damn right I did. And and, and I, I'm, so, <laughs> I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be in the books as some of my favorite characters because I've always had a love of Dracula and the Phantom of the Opera and Sherlock Holmes. And uh, it's funny, with Sherlock Holmes, uh, I'm, I'm in the books as as heading one of the most despised Sherlock Holmes films of all. It's like Plan 9 from Baker Street. And I love that. I, I, I wear that as a badge of honor. But our other films, Terror of Dracula, Phantom of the Opera, uh, Ghostkeepers, Christmas Carol. They found their, their niches. They they are what they are. They're indie films, but they're indie films uh, that are trying to achieve probably a higher standard. And and as such, uh, at the very end of the day, even the the staunchest critic will always say, well, you know, still for the resources they had, you know, not bad, not bad chaps. <laughs> How the filmmaking came about? I I did make a, a Sherlock Holmes film, and and this this ties back into horror, etc. Mm-hmm. I made a. A Sherlock Holmes film called Sherlock Holmes and the Shadow Watchers in, in 2011. And uh, we were recording the show at the time, and I was talking about it on the air. Ted, Ted used to always groan when I would get into marketing mode. And, 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 I, and I was an egotist for a while. I, I could absolutely admit it. But I had talked about how I had always wanted to do a faithful adaptation of Stoker's Dracula to go back to the book. And I had a very specific vision as to how I would have played Dracula had I the opportunity. And the most wonderful thing in the world happened, a listener... Of the Horror Etc. program, Bill Bossert, who has since become my brother, we're that close. He reached out and said, listen, how, how much can you make that Dracula film for? And I gave him a figure. And uh, <laughs> poor fellow, I, I promptly tripled it over the course of, of, you know, of putting the production together. But he <laughs> he backed it. He backed it. 100%. We made that film. And that film went on to open so many doors and have a ripple effect in my life. And that ripple effect really does all come back to the Horror Etc. podcast because A, it got me in Fangoria magazine. When I was a kid, just just like so many other kids out there, probably yourself, while all of my friends are reading like Sports Illustrated or, uh, you know, or Teen Weekly or what have you, I was reading Fangoria. And, and for me, it was a dream. I wanted to be in Fangoria magazine. And kudos to former editor-in-chief Chris Alexander, who is also a friend now. He's a very talented musician and filmmaker himself. He caught wind of our Dracula film. Well, he probably didn't catch wind of it. It was probably me pestering him. Uh, and uh, <laughs> he, he, he loved it. And, and he gave us a three-page feature article in the uh, Johnny Depp, Tim Burton, and Dark Shadows issue of the magazine. And uh, we actually got more more press, more pages, more more coverage in the magazine than Johnny Depp and Tim Burton did, and I and I cherish that to this day. It got me on the convention circuit. I started to uh, to meet interesting people. I became very good friends with uh, Maurizio Guarini of uh, of uh, the Italian band Goblin, who of course scored Suspiria and such. And you know, as as we as we go down uh, the story, that friendship becomes pivotal with the audio stuff. And and we continued to make movies, and I continued to uh, to find that I had an audience. Uh, another listener, Wayne Simmons, uh, in in Cardiff, Wales, caught wind that I was going to be over in the UK when he was running a horror convention. So I got to actually do a, a UK convention and screen Terror of Dracula over there, and it was wonderful. It, it was just this wonderful um, experience, and that show, that humble little show that I thought twenty five people were going to listen to, it does represent the beginning of uh, of, of a professional career versus um you know what i was doing before so after five films in 2015 i was completely burnt out and i I was going to take a break i had just actually in the in 2014 i had just walked away from my only studio gig i ever had i i was actually hired to write and direct and appear in a sequel to full moon's shrieker 
Mm, okay. And we got about 23 minutes into completed footage uh, when, for for one reason or another, uh, the, the the film started to fall apart. And I, I actually walked away and I thought, oh, that's it. I, I've shot myself in the foot. I'll never work again. And then uh, within a matter of days, uh, all of this funding came in for my dream project, which was A Christmas Carol, a musical film version. So I made that. I thought, OK, that's it. That's the end of the film stuff. Uh, I, I, I need to slow down. I, I had lost a parent and I and, uh, had recently been married. And I thought, that's it. I need to slow down. And I'm only going to take the work that brings in a, you know, a revenue. Not that it's about the money, but it's very, very nice to be able to combine passion with an income. And I was shocked because that's when things really started to take off, Derek. I got together with Maurizio from Goblin. We recorded this a single of Pose the Raven, which is something that I've been performing for years. And uh, we published it through Fangoria Music. And, and next thing I know... That single got picked up for vinyl release uh, by this obscure label in Syracuse called Cadabra Records. And that becomes a brand new partnership because Cadabra Records puts it out on vinyl. It's a hit for them. And they come back and say, well, listen, what, what else can you do? And I, I started thinking, well, many moons ago in Montreal, I had this massive passion for doing live radio plays on air. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if I could do these radio plays but apply a filmmaking uh, a set of skills to them and, and produce really high quality stuff and, and maybe even see if I can get some of the people that I love as, as a fanboy myself involved. So the first one out of the gate was Dracula starring Tony Todd, Tony the Candyman Todd right. as Dracula, <laughs> who had always wanted to do Dracula, turns out. And, and, and Tony's remained very friendly uh, in the years since we're going to work together again. And, and I got to play Van Helsing opposite him. We, we, we had this wonderful launch through Cadabra. And, and it was huge, like, like the vinyl sold out. I then set up a deal with a company called Brilliance Audio, which is uh, an Amazon company, and they're the largest independent uh, publisher for, for audiobooks. So they put all of our stuff out on audio, um, on, on, on audio CD and, and streaming download. So that, that was the beginning of Bleak December, which kept me occupied, which has kept me occupied steadily for, for five years. And, and when I'm not doing that, I'm also hired to to do readings for Cadaver Records as a, as a narrator for, for Edgar Allan Poe stories and Ambrose Beer stories. So it's been such a delight. Spoken word has been a very, very huge part of my life, uh, which is where podcasts come in, because podcasts, spoken word audiobooks are more popular than they've ever been. And, uh, you know, again, I have to say, if it wasn't for that humble little show that we started when Rob Zombie's Halloween came out, that was the first episode. Um, and, and, and of course, you know, I'll never tell Ted that he was right. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, <laughs> you know, but if it wasn't for that show, none of this would have happened. And so I'm, I'm very, very pleased. I'm very happy. I get to do all the projects that I want to do. There, there's a nice little dedicated audience. And now I'm finally dipping my foot back into the film world again as well. You know, here on Monster Kid Radio, we're about the like the classic monster movies and a lot of reference for things like famous monsters of film land and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, like you, when I was growing up, the magazine was Fangoria. So mm-hmm. I totally understand where you're coming from when you talk about being just so jazzed to appear in the magazine and a little jealous you know i, I never <laughs> i never had any reason to appear in fango myself but uh, that that's just awesome that uh, could change yeah you know the key word is yet yeah, because fango was back and actually a couple of years after that article um i, I actually got to write one too i got oh, to wow. do a, an interview with garrett graham who played beef in phantom of the paradise and uh, chris alexander roped me in to, to write that. that that was a thrill too I don't think people understand, or I should say, I don't think a certain uh, demographic understands how exciting it was, how eager you were for the next issue of your favorite magazine, and how exciting it was to find it on the rack when we were kids. Oh, sure. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I can tell you where I bought my first Fangoria magazine when I was growing up, uh, and my first Gorezone, because that was a thing back then, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Um, so I can tell you exactly where I was and uh, you know, how many times I brought that thing to school with me, wore the cover, and the cover would fall off by the time I was done reading it from front to front to back over yeah. and over and over again. <laughs> uh, I, I was always that weird kid that had those bloody magazines in high school, but whatever. You know, that, I mean, that I, was I me, too. It. I, loved I, it. I, used to, I used to travel with a pair of uh, plastic vampire fangs in my pocket when I was in school. No joke. I did that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and this is why I live alone and no one likes me. No, uh, oh, not, come not, on. <laughs> you know, the moment you have a camera in front of you, it becomes acceptable. <laughs> right, right. No, that, that's amazing. And, you know, I think there's something special about audio. It, it's a more intimate form of storytelling. I mean, I love the movies too, don't get me wrong, but the audio side of things, uh, as a I podcaster, agree. as somebody who edits audio for film and audio, whatever, I, I totally understand. And that you are able to transition almost inadvertently, it sounds like, from podcaster to audio producer, working with Tony Todd, doing all these things with Bleak December. Wow. I mean, I'm looking at what you've done and the people that you've worked with. This is just like a hit list of like favorites right here. You know, Tony Todd, David Warner. Uh, and, and before we hit record, you said you're a big fan of Doctor Who, so you got Sylvester McCoy. Uh, you're just knocking all these people out. Brian Blessed, when you did The Wicker Man. Yeah, that was huge. The interesting thing uh, about audio, or the wonderful thing, is that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, with our films, the common comment is, hey, considering the, the meager resources they had, they did a good job. Or considering their limitations, they, whereas with, with audio, although they're not cheap to produce, um, it's achievable with the budget that I'm working with. Uh, with audio, the only limitations are the limitations of your imagination as a listener. Mm -hmm. and, 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 that's, you know, and so we're on par. Some glorious people have said that we're on par with Big Finish and Baffle Gap, which oh, are the wow. two. Big yeah. producers, you know, and, and that's exciting to me. So I'm I'm very touched by that. Yes, Doctor Who, oh, Sylvester McCoy, we we've had we've um, I've just finished working with him for the third time. Colin Baker, we've worked together twice. He did uh, the Canterville Ghost on audio, and uh, he appeared as Dickens in, in that Christmas Carol film. And I'm actually editing a piece right now that uh, guest stars Peter Davison, who was who was lovely, lovely to work with, just a a, a really really nice down to earth man. He's he's appearing in uh, in an adaptation of Mr. James's uh, Number Thirteen, oh, wow. which is the next uh, release. I'm I'm excited. And, and yes, Brian, Bla oh boy, Brian Blessed is without a doubt that was the most exciting, uh, entertaining hour and change that I that I, I think I've ever spent in my life. So Studio Canal. I had the audacity to ask Studio Canal if they would let me uh, license uh, an audio remake of The Wicker Man, and I thought they, would, no, I thought they would very kindly say, uh, you know, bugger off. Um, <laughs> and I was shocked when, after listening to some of the uh, the material that I'd submitted to them, examples of our work, they said, yes, yes, you know what, we're down with this. Uh, you can do an adaptation of the original Wicker Man of the original screenplay, and, and we did, and. I, I reached out and I thought, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't Brian Blessed just make the most incredible Lords? If I was making a, a film version, who would I cast today as Lord Summerisle? And Brian Blessed was the actor that came to mind. And, and when I put it forward to Brian's agent, I was, I was absolutely gobsmacked when, he, um, when they responded enthusiastically. Because he, he did take a pay cut for this, I'm pretty confident. <laughs> and, uh, and he was just the nicest, funny. I mean, he had me in stitches, Derek. So... Normally what happens is, uh, because I'm in Canada, so um, I, I usually direct by telephone or, or Skype or, or Zoom. And we have an agreed time that the actors in studio say in the UK, and the sound engineer calls from the studio and says, uh, you know, hi, this is so-and-so, I've got uh, so-and-so in studio, I'm going to patch you in now, and then you're in their headset. 
and you say your hellos and you get to work. Well, this particular morning, it was very, very early in the morning. I think it was I think it was seven o'clock uh, my time. Uh, the phone rings and I pick it up and I'm expecting the uh, sound engineer. I'm, you know, hello, very groggily. And I hear on the other end. Yes. Good morning, Canada. <laughs> It's Brian Blessed, and it was it was just the most amazing, <laughs> amazing thing. And, uh, and as we're recording, he would just segue into these beautiful anecdotes. Just before we started recording, he says, "Do you believe in Bigfoot in the Sasquatch?" And I'm like, "Yes, I do." As a matter of fact, you know, when I was in Canada, when I met the Queen, all she wanted to talk about was the Sasquatch. You know, he just has these amazing, amazing stories. <laughs> uh, you know, he was just a lovely, lovely, lovely man, and I. Uh, uh, it was so exciting. <laughs> Malcolm McDowell. We worked. I worked with Malcolm McDowell. He uh, stepped in for Vincent Price in um, reboot. We did an audio reboot of the Canadian TV series, The Hilarious House of Frankenstein. I was terrified going into that because I thought I thought he was going to be. Well, he's Malcolm McDowell. He can be difficult. You know, I had heard these stories that he can be very intimidating. A very nice man, but intimidating. And he wasn't. He was, again, he was just the loveliest, loveliest fella. Very funny, very accommodating. Every experience, every person that we've worked with, all these icons that that, that you and I love, David Warner, Robert Powell, Sir Derek Jacobi, that was wild. Everybody's just been so nice. I especially love the British actors. I mean, I love the American actors, but I especially love the British actors because it's a very different sort of vocation for them than it is for those working in the Hollywood scene. Although, again, Tony Todd is a, I mean, I mean, he is a, he's a true thespian and he's a true fan of the material. He's a stage man and he does projects that mean something to him. It's, it's not about the glamour. And in the UK too, I find that at least the, the old school actors that we've worked with, it's never been about the glamour. It's about the work. It's just about a joy of the art. And, and as such, I can tell you that's made me a better actor over the years because the greatest experience you can have is is, is life experience and working with, with some of these incredible talents and just, just seeing how normal they are, how very, very normal, very friendly, very appreciative they are that they've been able to do something they love for as long as they have. And uh, it really does paint a very different picture than you, than, than some people might assume. You know, with the kind of uh, movies and the, the topics that we cover here on Monster Kid Radio, unfortunately, uh, a lot of these performers are no longer with mm-hmm. us. You know, I, I can't go talk to like a Boris Karloff, but I can meet a Sarah Karloff or a Victoria Price instead of Vincent Price. Yes. And I will say for them too, it, it's incredibly satisfying to meet these people and and connect with them on a just a person to person level and a lot of times they're fans of what they do or what their parents did uh in this case uh, as well and it's amazing again it all goes back for me anyway to the podcast that i've been able to develop relationships with these people mm-hmm. and in some cases work with them and, and you've done that to an nth degree and you mentioned house of frightenstein i want to go to that real quick before we move on from that yeah. for some people who don't know you mentioned you're up in there in canada it is a canadian i guess kids show mm-hmm. but yeah. It's Vincent Price introducing the thing. It's got horror running through its veins. Uh, uh, yeah. What is The Hilarious House of Frankenstein, for people who don't know? It, it was a series that was recorded in 1970 in a city called Hamilton, which is about uh, 20 minutes outside of Toronto. And it was this small, bizarre show that was a series of vignettes featuring uh, variations on all of the original monster characters like Dracula and, and Igor and the Wolfman. It was, it was zany. All of the characters, or the majority of the characters, were played by a Canadian comedian, Billy Van, who was also very well known in the U.S. He 
played all these wonderful characters. They shot 130 episodes over the course of a year. And Vincent Price, Vincent Price uh, came in for four days in 1970 to record all this material uh, and to serve as host of this show. And the show was the brainchild of two brothers out of uh, out of Toronto, uh, Riff and uh, and Mitch Markowitz. Mitch has become a, a very dear dear friend of mine over the years. We met at a convention again, you know, another convention, and the conventions happened because of horror, etc. And uh, I was invited to to host a panel with him on the hilarious house of Frankenstein because it was a show that was in syndication for at least thirty years. So a lot of kids grew up with the show here and also in the U.S. as well. And uh, in some instances, it was broadcast at these bizarre times. So you'd have these university kids, like in L.A., coming back from uh, from a rave or what have you at three in the morning or four in the morning, and they'd all love the show because they were so you know psyched up on on psychedelics and such. They thought it was the greatest thing. So it, it was very much a part of of my childhood. I watched it as a kid. It was probably my first introduction to the classic monsters too so i hosted this panel and mitch and i got along famously and afterwards he said to me uh, kind of off the cuff hey we should do this more often and i said you know because it's audacity derek it's always about the audacity i said uh, you know i i run this label that produces these full cast audio plays and you should let me do a full cast audio product he thought about it he said send me some examples of your work and i did and uh, lo and behold, within a couple of months, we had a, a contract to revive The Hilarious House of Frankenstein as, as an audio play. Uh, the very, very first new material in almost 50 years. In fact, 2021 is the 50th anniversary of its broadcast. And there's a documentary that's uh, that's in production right now that celebrates the fans and celebrates the legacy of the show. And I've, I've been interviewed for it already because I'm very proud to say uh, that I voice a lot of the characters um, that uh, were portrayed originally by Billy Van in the series. I'm very proud of the fact that you know I'm the first actor who's had the opportunity to do that in almost 50 years. And, and not only that, there's another horror, etc. connection here. A listener of the show who was a listener of the show since the very beginning, and we became good friends as well, Ken Cooperus. He and his wife run this company called Headspinner Productions here. Uh, Ken, Ken's a, uh, a very successful writer. She's a very successful producer. Ken has worked on Stargate Atlantis. He does a lot of children's programming. And uh, I was able to to do an introduction between he and Mitch. And uh, to make a long story short, Headspinner has acquired the rights to uh, do a, a television reboot of The Hilarious House of Frankenstein. And I've sort of been kept in the loop as to its progress, and, uh, and and it's fantastic to see that it's going to live again. But I do take fantastic, fantastic pride in the fact that I was the first person to get there <laughs> in almost 50 years. <laughs> and, um, you know, to be able to play some of the characters that I loved as a kid, it, it remains the greatest joy. You know, I've asked people about this over the years, and I, I'm always fascinated to hear people's take on this. What is it about being a fan of the genre that leads so many of us fans to pursuing creative endeavors? You don't hear about this with people, and this is the example I always give. You don't hear about people who are fans of romantic comedies going out and making, you know, the big dirty dancing convention. You know, you don't hear about that. But but you do hear about fans of these things like you, like me, like uh, so many of the convention runners and other filmmakers and such going into creative pursuits. Why do you think that is with this genre that we're into so much? Fanboys and fangirls are my favorite people in the world, and I am definitely one of them. And it's because we are the people who were able to survive childhood if that makes sense. We were able to survive childhood, to not dig a hole and bury all those passions that we had when we were very young away. We've been able to hold on to them 
We've been able to hold on to them. We've been able to celebrate them as we are adults unflinchingly. And it's very funny because for want of a better term, we geeks, and I say we geeks have often been regarded as outcasts and and you know people who who don't necessarily uh fit in right back in the 80s and 90s when i was coming up that's the way it was now everything's changed of course and pop culture is a huge huge industry um but we've been able to take all these things with us we haven't buried our dreams we haven't buried our our childhood passions we haven't uh, buried that ambition to want to play and play is very important. Uh, any psychotherapist who uh, you know who's who's worth their salt will say the same thing. There, there's a form of psychotherapy that actually encourages people to to play and act out using toys, and I think that's brilliant. And uh, I mean, I know I'm stark raving mad, but I've never had occasion to actually see one. But it would, you know, it sounds like such a therapeutic process. I think that's why, because fantasy lovers, science fiction lovers, horror lovers, we are the ultimate escapists, and uh, as such, once again, we're the ones buying the figures. We're the ones buying the Funkos. We're the ones buying the Nika figures, the, the Todd McFarlane figures, right? We're, we're buying the books. We're buying the Scream mm-hmm. Factory releases. We love this stuff so much and we want to be a part of it. And there is this wonderful love and, and a feeling of community that you get at these conventions that people will never understand unless they're part of that world. And that's why I love conventions. They can be a lot of work, but I love them because of that, because everybody's there and it's, it's love, man. It's a very familial experience. That is probably one of my favorite answers that I've gotten to that question. I, I think uh, you nailed it, at least. I've never been able to articulate it myself, but you're right. Yeah, we are the people who still hold on to our action figures and our, our toys, uh, you know? Uh, well, listen, and- I, I'm on eBay all the time, uh, oh, and, and I'm yeah. sure you are. I'm sure, I'm sure your listeners are, too. And, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm not there looking for a coffee grinder. I'm there looking for, well, just recently, I just recently, you know, I, I, what, what did I purchase recently? I just got a, uh, I, my, my Jaws welcome mat for my new condo. That was a complete necessity. Uh, I, I just, oh, sure, yeah. I just recently acquired a program from Bella Lugosi's uh, stage tour of uh, of Dracula back in the 1950s from Manchester, England. Uh, oh, wow. You know, so these are the things that you know the the, the a fool and his money are, are are parted very easily, and uh, and I am uh, I'm a prime example of that, and I have no regrets. Sure, and to be fair though, if it was like a Boris Karloff branded coffee grinder, I, I'd be all over that in a minute. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you imagine that? That'd be fantastic. Wow. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Cafe Screenio. That'd be, oh, that'd be brilliant. Oh, man. Somebody needs to get on that. And then, you know, build it in such a way. So instead of the sound you get, you get that, you know, grinding. Yeah. yeah that'd be amazing. Absolutely I want that, that mad scientist switch you have to pull to, to get the whole thing to go. Yeah. I Coffee's guess so good, it'll raise the dead. There you go, man. We ought to, <laughs> listeners, don't steal that. Anthony, Call we're going to do that later. Get Sarah on the phone right there away. We go. There we go. We'll do. <laughs> <laughs> I want to transition from all the audio that you've done to your acting, I was really pleased to see that you connected with Seb. Yeah. I was Seb Godain and started appearing in some of his stuff. Blood Rites of the Vampire. Well, that was the first thing you did with him, right? Seb, I love him the bits. We're, like, we're, we're very dear friends. We talk almost every day. Seb showed up at the very first horror convention I did in 20, uh, 2013 when we were uh, promoting Dracula. Or was it 2012? 2012, I think. Um, we were promoting Dracula at Shockstock in London, Ontario, and and that's become a perennial favorite for for me. I I've been to Shockstock many times as a guest, and Jake and the, and uh, James who run it are just a lovely, lovely human beings. 
the very, very first convention I ever did, this young fella, I think he was 16 or 17 at the time, introduced himself to me and said one of the reasons he had come out was because he had heard that this Dracula film was going to be playing and he wanted to get a copy and he wanted to meet me and he took a photograph and, you know, he added me on Facebook and he had mentioned at the time that he wanted to be a filmmaker, that he was making his own little shorts and such. And over the years, I paid attention. I paid attention. I watched, you know, as he did make his shorts. And then he started making features and he got distribution. And it was the most incredible thing in the world because he's got a passion that rivals anyone in the industry, I'd say. He just loves the material. He's got a very distinct voice. And yes, last year, he reached out and said, would you come up and play a vampire hunting priest, Blood Rites of the Vampire, uh, this film that I'm shooting in North Bay, which is about five hours from me. And I said, absolutely. So, you know, he, he gave me some creative input and we actually changed the character from a priest to a monk. And, and there were three reasons for that. First of all, visually, it's, it's, it's much more interesting to have the brown robe and, and such than, than just a, a priest's uh, a suit. Uh, second of all, I thought it was a nod to uh, to Andrew Keir, who played uh, a wonderful vampire hunting monk in, in the Hammer vampire cycle. And third of all, because the uh, priest costume didn't fit. So the uh, <laughs> uh, so the, I'm, I'm like, hey, let's try a monk's robe, see if that and, – and it was cool. It was great. And, and of course, you know, just being there and working with him, we became even closer friends and very, very tight friends. And it's a friendship that I value very much. So when it came time for him to make a Frankenstein film, or when he had started to think about doing one, we had a great conversation, and I kind of threw a couple of ideas, bounced a couple of ideas off of him, some of which uh, he rightfully disregarded, but a couple kind of formed seeds for an idea that he developed and grew and grew, and uh, again, in his very distinct voice, he created this monstrosity, a glorious monstrosity called The Abominations of Frankenstein, and asked if I would come and play Baron Heinrich von Frankenstein. Uh, and uh, yes, the answer was yes, immediately. Probably the seediest character I've ever and will ever play. And it was a delight. It was a delight to go back up to North Bay and play this character. We got a lot of press for it. And, you know, again, the movie is what it is. It's certainly uh, not a mainstream film, and, and thank heavens it's not. Uh, but but certainly I think that there is enough cachet that that character might become a bit of an iconic take. And there's already plans to do more with it. So that was a delight. Seb's such a talent. I'm, I'm such a fan of his uh, of his voice as a filmmaker. And uh, I, I actually wrote him a role, the lead role, in, in my newest film. So he's coming to, to Kingston later this year to uh, to star in that well, listen to you man you're giving me perfect segues <laughs> which is where i was going to go with this anyway because i know that he's going to be in your upcoming project which let's talk about right now bug-eyed monsters invade the earth listeners if you don't know what you're getting with a title like that you're you're not paying attention i mean listen to that title it's we don't do subtlety <laughs> that's why we don't do <laughs> it's made for us monster kids man come on and, and every time every, it's funny every time i say it, I'm, it it's getting bigger and bigger it's bug-eyed monsters invade the earth like one of these days i'm going to drop dead of like a stroke or something uh, trying you know just saying the title <laughs> my, you know and my head's going to explode but it is exactly it is a throwback to it's a whole bunch of things i'm a doctor who nut i'm a i grew up on classic doctor who I, i'm still waiting for the bbc to call for that screen test it hasn't happened yet so i figured you know what now's the time to try and and get as close as i possibly can to playing the doctor <laughs> well they're looking for a new one now aren't they well they are they absolutely are but i you know again i haven't got that call yet derek i don't, I don't man I sh yeah i should check my phone <laughs> It could be. Anyway, Bug-Eyed Monsters <laughs> Invade the Earth oh, is wow. a celebration of uh, 
it's a celebration of the things that we love. Uh, it's it's definitely you know a throwback to the to the sci-fi films of the fifties and sixties. It's also a love letter to classic Doctor Who, and it's sort of autobiographical, except for the bug-eyed monsters. Uh, so it's about a about a young fellow in his early twenties in the mid nineteen nineties that is obsessed about this obscure, schlocky, low-rent kids' TV show that was shot in his town that he loved so much when he was a kid, called Professor Curio, The Adventures of Professor Curio. Make no mistakes, this is a thinly-veiled Doctor Who, uh, although for copyright purposes, I'm going to say parody. But it's it's thin, <laughs> it's thinly-veiled, and um, uh, what happens is he organizes a bus tour. In, uh, the show has been off the air for years. It's the mid-'90s. Hardly anyone remembers it. Like, this was my life. You know, this is how I grew up in Quebec in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> this was, you know, so he organizes a bus tour to go around and visit some of the locations where the show was shot. And lo and behold, while he's got this very, very small little group of misfits on board the bus, they they find themselves stranded in the middle of nowhere. And they also find that they're stranded uh, in the middle of a genuine alien invasion. To To make matters even sillier... He's gone ahead and he's hired the actor who starred in this TV show all these years ago. He's hired him to show up in his costume and, uh, you know, join the bus tour for this final location where they've all broken down. And so now we have the Professor Curio actor in his costume. It becomes an episode of Professor Curio. And silliness ensues. There's a lot of heart. It, it is, you know, like I said, a love letter to the things that I love and the things that other people love. And and just to, just to add the cherry onto the, you know, onto the sundae or the icing onto the cake. And now I just made myself hungry. The main alien, the supreme larva of the Clawmites, which are the invading uh, alien faction, is portrayed on screen by a puppet. But that puppet is voiced by none other than Sylvester McCoy, the seventh Doctor Who. He was also in the Hobbit films, and he's 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 had a wonderful career, actually. An, an incredible actor, one of the funniest comedians I, I, that I've ever worked with. Just a, a great, 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 magical, magical person. He's voicing the villain. And, and to be able to tie it all together, you know, representing that era of Doctor Who that was his era, and to have him in this, uh, this film, what a joy. What a joy. And and so it, it's the project that brings me back to filmmaking after, well, it's six years now. Uh, it's an idea that I've had for a long time, and it all came together this year. Thank you, Pandemic. You know, I will say it's the best script. I mean, even if it's crap, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not egotistical enough to uh, to think that, you know, my writing is is genius. But, you know, even if it is garbage, it's the best garbage that I've ever written. Uh, we're, we're, we're going into production with it. We're going into production with it this year. It's fully cast. We've got a, an amazing creative team. To be able to ensure that we make the best film that we possibly can, I launched a, an Indiegogo campaign nine days ago. And we set out to raise uh, 10,000 Canadian dollars. It's not a lot of money uh, in the grand scheme of things. It's, it's a fortune. It'd be a fortune for me, but it's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things, especially for, for a film. But that money will make all the world of difference between taking the film from one level to raising the bar and again, making the best film that we can. I'm, I'm humbled, Derek. I'm humbled and overjoyed by the fact that in nine days, the first nine days of a 60-day campaign, we're already at uh, just, a, just a few dollars shy of 55% funding. And that's extraordinary. So I'm, I'm feeling very confident that we're going to get there and uh, that we'll meet our goal. I, I thank all the people on Facebook who have been sharing the post. And I thank you for allowing me to, to come on today and, and to talk about this and to encourage people out there, hey, check out the Indiegogo page. 
uh, share it. Sharing is big. If you, you know, if, if, if you can't make a contribution, hey, sharing the page doesn't cost you anything, but it might cost you a few friends because, you know, uh, we have that reputation. No, I'm kidding. Well, um, well, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you know, just by sharing that page, it, it helps because it brings eyes to it. And if anybody wants to get involved, hey, there's all sorts of great perks at all different price tiers. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we even have people who have been jumping on board as, as co-producers because they get like IMDb credits and such. It's, it's exciting. I'm so thrilled with the fact that people have just come out to, to support this. They're excited about the film. I'm excited about it. And if this one goes well, I can easily see another Professor Curio film. Uh, and possibly kick it off as either a film or an audio series. Wow. I want to talk more about it, but there is something that we do on every episode of Monster Kid Radio that I need to do with you, sir. Sure. Uh, we, ha- we have a game that we play here called the Classic Five. I've got a deck of cards here. Uh, each one of these cards has a this or that, which movie do you prefer style question. They're all about classic monster movies. There are no wrong answers. Huh. Not that we don't already know a lot about you, but it's just a way to get to know you a little bit more when it comes to classic monster films. I love it. What do you it. say? You want to play around? Or I okay, so love got- it. Let's do it. Let's Let's do it. I'm going to draw some five cards here. First card right off the top. Which movie do you prefer? The Wolfman or Curse of the Werewolf? The Wolfman. Is that the way Jenny Williams was killed? Yes. Find something? Animal tracks. Whoever is beaten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, don't hand me that. You're just wasting your time. The wolf beat you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. You wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you? Oh, Larry, you're not. You know you're not. I killed Bela. I killed Richardson. If I stay here any longer, you can't tell who'll be next. And I would normally gravitate towards British films if you had said legend of the werewolf i would have uh, i would have gone with that but i would say the wolfman it's just it's just dripping with atmosphere and it sort of uh it reinvigorates the universal monster cycle it's it's actually the second cycle and some might call it the third cycle if you if you count the silent efforts so uh, yeah it's it's a glorious film and it's just dripping in in gothic black and white goodness I'm not going to disagree. Um, <laughs> I mean, I love my Hammer films, but I'm not going to disagree. I'm not going to disagree. We actually do have a Hammer films expansion deck for the Classic Five, so I'm going to pull a card. Oh, ah, lovely. There we go. And I just asked this of somebody in the last episode. Who never appeared in a Hammer film, but you wish they had? Oh, well, Vincent Price never appeared in a Hammer film, did he? No, and, and I would have loved to have seen what Price would have done you know, under the guise of, of, of Terrence Fisher, because Fisher was a, was a wonderful, very, uh, very workman uh, English director. And I think that he would have inspired a different sort of performance out of uh, Vincent Price, just as we see with, with Witchfinder General. That's a very different Price. And, and Price himself was such a wonderful actor. Oh, it would have been fascinating to see what he could have done with that. You know, Terrence Fisher always said that he was making fairy tales for adults, and I would love to have seen what Price would have done with that mindset going into, oh, wow. I wish that Price had played Dracula. He never had the opportunity to play Dracula. And I, and I think it would have been fascinating to see what he would have done with it if he would have taken the traditional Price approach or if he would have taken a classical approach. I mean, I've seen him wear fangs in an episode of The Muppet Show, but you're right. He never did do Dracula. That's right. That's right. He played a quasi-Dracula in uh, an episode of Night Gallery. But Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that unfortunate. Very unfortunate. All right. Card number three. 
Dr. Septimus Pretorius and Bride of Frankenstein, or Dr. Gustav Niemann from House of Frankenstein? Oh, Dr. Pretorius, absolutely, if for nothing else uh, than the hair. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I get everybody saying Pretorius, but I've never had the hair given as the reason. You know, Pretorius is just such a wonderful character. And, and of course, he appears as the Undertaker in, in the Alistair Sim uh, Christmas Carol as well. Just delightful. Just delightful. <laughs> I love that. Oh, okay. Uh, this one, totally random. Another Hammer Films uh, question. What's your favorite Michael Ripper film appearance? Well, he only did one role. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, oh, boy. But he was so good at it. Yeah, he was. He was fabulous in it. Absolutely fabulous in it. And, and of course, uh, he, was, he was a stalwart. He was a, he was a great comedic actor as well. Um, now, is he not the innkeeper in Scars of Dracula? I think he's the the innkeeper in that. He's an innkeeper in one of the Dracula films, and I think and and I thought he was fantastic. And and to be honest, they all sort of bleed together at the you know after a while. When I picture Michael Ripper, I really only picture one character, whether he's wearing a Bobby's costume or a vest and a canvas shirt uh, as an innkeeper. Again, he he's part of what makes Hammer films so so lovely. You do see these faces that sort of pop in from film to film. Yeah, I, I like Michael Ripper as an innkeeper. So whatever film films he has appeared in as an innkeeper, those are my favorite performances because it's really one performance. <laughs> yeah, well, he was the landlord in Scars of Dracula. So he is. There right we there. go. Scars yeah. of Dracula, yeah. the landlord. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, he's he's such a delight. If he doesn't turn up in a, in a Hammer film, I feel like I'm missing something. I know. I you know. know he's, absolutely. He's just part of it, you know? Yeah, marvelous uh, actor. Fantastic. Oh, so good. All right, final card, final question. What is your favorite classic monster movie sequel? Hmm. It's very tempting to say Bride of Frankenstein because everyone says Bride of Frankenstein. Um, if we're looking at the Hammer Cycle, I'll go back to the Hammer Cycle. I'm I am, I am actually a huge fan of uh, of horror of Frankenstein, which I thought was such an interesting reboot of a Frankenstein by Hammer with with Ralph Bates as the Baron. I thought it was so well done. Even the David Prowse monster was was so incredibly effective. I really enjoy that as as you know kind of a quasi sequel reboot whatever you want to call it. I would say that's probably my favorite. See, I was really cold to that one the first time I saw it because like oh come on it's not Peter Cushing it's you know whatever. Mm -hmm. But the last time I watched it I I think I had enough distance from it from all of that to enjoy it for its own merits. Exactly. It, it really is an interesting take. And also when you pair it with Scars of Dracula, because Scars of Dracula was essentially a reboot of the Dracula series, but they maintained Christopher Lee. And I thought, I, I like that one very much. It's very different than the other films, but I, I enjoy those very much. Those, those are probably... You know, you've got the pairing of Horror of Dracula and Curse of Frankenstein, and you've also got the pairing of Horror of Frankenstein and Scars of Dracula. You know, those represent two very distinct eras in uh, in Hammer. Yeah, I, I enjoy them very much. The two most terrific names in screen evil, together in one shock show. Horror of Frankenstein and Scars of Dracula. Your ticket entitles you to be frightened out of your wits at no extra charge. Horror of Frankenstein and Scars of Dracula. In color, rated R. Well, like I said, there are no wrong answers, but I think you just got all the right ones. So thank you for playing the Classic <laughs> Five with us. I appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Always fun to do that with, with new people here on the show. So I'm looking at the listing over on Indiegogo for Bug-Eyed Monsters Invade the Earth. And 
one of the things that I always, always look for when it comes to movies that are seeking crowdfunding are the rewards. And you've already done what I think is one of the most important things that you can do with these things. You offer a copy of the movie if you contribute enough. But I'm also noticing you make a copy of the soundtrack available. I'm a music fanatic. I'm a film score geek. Can you tell me about the music of the film? Right on. And and I am too. I am too. I, uh, I, I'm a huge vinyl nut right now, actually. I, I, I always joke that I was done with vinyl until I got my first royalty check, but I, I really do love, <laughs> I really do. I love it now. Um, you know, I really do love vinyl and, uh, and, and I do buy a lot of scores. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, so the score is important and, and we have an amazing composer, Brent Holland, who has scored all of the bleak December audios. Okay. And he's also, he also scored two of my films. He did the incidental score for Christmas Carol. I wrote the songs and he also scored our Phantom of the Opera film. And Brent is, uh, he's a professional. He, he, he scored, oh boy, he scored Morris Devereaux's blood symbol back in the 1990s. That fellow went on to make end of the line. If you've ever seen it, uh, great horror film brent has worked for with nasa he's worked with uh with cbs he's licensing music that is in the industry he truly is a pro and he's a chameleon as well he is bleak december's james bernard and his scores are equally as orchestral gothic and rich wow Um, but being a comedian he is able to just adapt himself to to other genres and with bug-eyed monsters invade the earth there's a little touch in the uh, the opening little little Super 8 video riff that we have, you you hear a sample of the type of score that we're going to have for this, and it's going to be a very Danny Elfman-esque Mars Attacks type of score. You know, that was sort of my note to him. You know, let's make it very Beetlejuicy. Let's make it very. Uh, um, it, it's got to be an Elfman score, sure. but with his own his own flourishes. So of course that that score needs to be released as its own uh, entity, and we're going to do that as a, as a digital download, like on iTunes and such down the road, but. Yes, it's one of the perks. So when once the film is is made and he's got something to score and we have the score, uh, one of the perks is a digital copy of the the score. We've got digital copies of the film. We are going to do a very very small DVD run. There will be no Blu-ray. I'm a Blu-ray fan, but for this film, there there really is no point in us doing a Blu-ray. There will be no Blu-ray. So you know, if you're like me and you're like, oh, I'll hold out for the Blu-ray. No, 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 it's not coming. <laughs> so you know, the DVD is certainly option. <laughs> Although DVD is still the number one format, physical media format, uh, commercially right now. So you know, I'm I'm fine with that. And then we have some other cool perks like scripts, production use scripts. I, I'm I'm a collector of uh, of props got a collection of uh, of screen used props from the classic doctor who series uh, uh i've got some stuff for some horror films as well from star trek the motion picture things that i enjoy so i thought you know i know there's other collectors out there who love that sort of thing the puppet that's going to appear on screen as sylvester mccoy's character um, that was a higher dollar perk it's already gone production use scripts are available still we're going to have a couple of props from the film that some lucky uh, um, backers are going to receive. And, you know, I've, I've tried to make it as interesting as I possibly can, in, including producer credits, mm-hmm. associate producer, executive producer, co-producer credits, you know, for, for people who, who want to get a leg up into film, who need that IMDb credit and, and need to be involved with a film that's actually going to see the light of day. This is great. And, and, and I'm so grateful to everyone who has and who is going to get involved because they're helping me bring a dream to life. Uh, but they're also helping create an opportunity for some incredible talented people who don't live in Los Angeles, who don't live in Toronto, who don't live in BC, who don't have the opportunity to to do this sort of work full time. It's creating an opportunity for these immensely talented people to work on par with those in the industry. That's actually the biggest joy to me because nobody gets into this. Nobody should get into this thinking of the bottom line, thinking financially. 
and uh, you know, I, I assure you, there's as there's as much money to be made in independent filmmaking as there is podcasting. Uh, and I could say that having been, having done both. <laughs> wait, wait, there's money to be so, made podcasting. I've been doing this wrong this whole yeah. What's up with that? Ten years I've been doing this wrong. <laughs> I know. Yeah. What the hell? So uh, no one told me this. So so anyway, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, that's that's where we're at. It's it's definitely a, a labor of love, and because filmmaking is filmmaking is such god awful work. Occasionally some very kind but very naive individual will ask me, hey, can you give me some advice about filmmaking? And my first response is, what the hell are you asking me for? But you know, my, my next response is, I've got two very, very important messages. If you have a passion, don't just talk about it. A, make a movie. And B, whatever you do, don't make a movie because it's a nightmare. But it's, it's such a joyous, glorious nightmare. Uh, th- those who do are hooked on it. For listeners of the show, this is a game that we play. Take a shot because I'm about to tell everybody that I used to think I'd be a filmmaker when I grew up. Um, <laughs> you know, did a little bit of. And have, have you? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I did a little bit of film school. I did a short film, uh, a couple of short films, but it's been years since I've picked up a camera with the idea of making a movie like that. But it's always something that I've. I've kept in the back of my brain and in the bottom of my heart. Someday I'll get back to it. Someday I'll make another movie, I'm sure. I'd love to see you do that. And, you know, again, the best people to make movies are those that feel so passionately yeah, that's about the, thing. the subject matter. I can't, I can't get rid of it. I, You know, I haven't done anything in 15 years in that area, but I can't let it go. <laughs> someday I'll get back to it. Someday, someday. And I love yeah, that, absolutely. I love that you're still doing it and that you are doing it and doing it at a level that just fulfills you in such a way, man. You just, you're bleeding inspiration here over the phone, <laughs> over the microphone <laughs> with me. And I love it. I'm glad. All, all I can say is, you know, I'm delighted. I'm, I'm shocked to some degree that I have found an audience. I'm, I'm grateful for that audience. It's a very, very small, but dedicated group. And it seems to be growing a little bit every year, which is, which is wonderful for me. The joy is being able to create, to, to not really be limited. Yeah. We're, we're limited by budget, but sure. one little challenge that I've always had is it's being able to, to make things work and find ways to make things work with that smaller budget. And sometimes that means you make a talkier picture than you would a visual picture. And that's certainly been a criticism that's been lobbed at me, but you know, what I would throw back is, well, how would you do it better for the same? And, you know, sometimes you have to cut corners without showing the seams. So, uh, so you know, so, that, so that's, that's been a joy. I've been able to do the projects that I want to do and to work with people who encourage and support. And, and I've also worked with a lot of my heroes. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's not necessarily lining my pockets as much as some people uh, might think. And that's all right, because uh, w- what is success? I think success is just being able to step back and look and, and have that glowing sense of accomplishment. And I can do that. And so much of it, once again, we're going to bring it back to the very beginning here. So much of it comes back to that podcast and that community that despite the silliness and despite <laughs> despite the, the, the egotism and despite the awful, awful impersonations, despite all that, they stuck with us and uh, and some wonderful doors have opened. I think that's a great way to kind of wrap this up and back to the where it all came from. And that's amazing. I wish you the absolute best with this movie. I'm excited to see it. Uh, it's got a, a nice Galaxy Quest kind of Fright Night vibe to it. I'm, I'm feeling like, and I can't wait to yeah. see how it turns out. Yeah, that's actually that's a, Garrick, that's a great observation. It it is Galaxy Quest for Doctor Who fans. I've been saying that in the uh, the promotion, but you're right. It has the Fright Night vibe too. The Fright Night theme. In fact, the character that I play, who is uh, Clifton Hartwell, who is the actor who played Professor Curio on television, uh, he he's very much in the in the Peter Vincent. 
vein. I never thought of that. That's great. You can have that one for free. That's cool. All right. Yeah, we're going to use that. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, man. All I ask is that someday, someday we get to work on something together. That's all I ask for. I, I'd love that. I love that. I, I love collaborating with people. You know, again, for folks like Seb Godet and Bill Bossard and, you know, creative people like yourself, people who love this stuff. I, again, my favorite people in the world are are the fanboys and the fangirls. I, I just love hanging out with them. I love chatting. I love talking shop, which usually involves Funko figures. And it's just <laughs> it's just a joy to not be that kid, you know, in, in, in his parents' basement in the early 1990s, watching the Hammer films. And, you know, nobody else was into the stuff that I was into, mailing away for a Doctor Who action figure that you might get, you <laughs> might never show four or five months later to be able to know that, hey, hey, there's more of us out there. Oh, it's a great era to be a geek. Okay, so you're going to want to go to bleakdecember.com to catch up with Anthony and see what he's up to, to find a list of his various works, see what they're up to on the audio front, see what kind of projects they've got going. And there is a link there to the Indiegogo campaign for Bug-Eyed Monsters Invade the Earth. So you can check it out over at bleakdecember.com or hop over to monsterkidradio.net because I'm going to make sure there's a link in the show notes over there as well. Now, it is a crowdfunding campaign. The thing about Indiegogo, though, is that it's not an all or nothing kind of thing like kickstarter kickstarter it's an all or nothing if you don't hit the goal then you don't get any of the money with indiegogo he gets all the funds and he does have a goal set of seven thousand nine hundred twenty six dollars not sure where the number came from but i'm sure he budgeted it out out appropriately and accordingly and as of right now as of this recording he is 57 percent of the way there and there's still a month and a half left. So there's plenty of time to get caught up. Even if you can't contribute, maybe just share the link with your friends. I think this movie's going to be a lot of fun. It sounds like it's going to be made with a lot of heart and a lot of love. And, you know, Anthony's one of us. And he's doing good. Thanks again for making time to be on the show, Anthony. And tell you what, in the future... I won't be so hesitant and or intimidated about having you come onto my podcast again, because this was a blast. At this lonely crossroad in the Carpathian Mountains, four travelers find themselves abandoned at nightfall by a local coach driver who was afraid to go any further. There's no driver. A coach with horses that knew the way. A table laid for four. Was this kindly hospitality? Isn't your master joining us for dinner? No, sir. I'm afraid not. Is he indisposed? He's dead. Why should a dead man be interested in entertaining guests? Dracula, Prince of Darkness, King of the Vampires. For ten years, his mortal remains were cherished by his faithful servant, awaiting the opportunity and a victim to provide the life force for the reincarnation of Dracula. A strange premonition warns the guests at Castle Dracula that their host is ready to receive them. I must kill him. He is already dead. He is undead, Mr. Kent. He can be destroyed. 
but not killed. Where's Charles? You don't need Charles. pictures, nothing so shocking on the screen. <laughs> Corridors of blood. Mr. Bolton, the committee have decided against holding any further demonstrations. I tell you, I must have those chemicals. <laughs> a bargain's a bargain, eh, Doctor? You keep your end of it, and I'll keep mine. of Blood, starring Boris Karloff, genius or madman. Better St. John, drawn into the deadly vortex. Finley Curry, who believed at first. Christopher Lee, the killer known as Resurrection Joe. I can't sign that. I don't know how he died. It's a favor for a favor, Doctor. You want your book? Hospitals want bodies. And you take shock after shock after shock. Don't hold in your terror. Shriek if you must. A Nervorama shocker. This picture is not for timid souls. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for being here. Thanks for downloading the show and sharing the show with all of your friends by either retweeting tweets or sharing the post on Facebook or talking about it on Instagram or, you know, whatever it is you do to help spread the word, I appreciate it. And I also appreciate all the honest reviews and feedback that we get about the podcast in places like the iTunes store or wherever it is you download your podcast. So thank you. I've mentioned the website a few times because that's where the show notes are. If you need to know something about Monster Kid Radio, head over to monsterkidradio.net everything that we've talked about here on the show it's there there's a link to amazon so if you want to buy anything through amazon please consider using one of our affiliate links you don't even have to buy the item that the affiliate link is for it's just enough to kind of go through that link and then pick up whatever you need and we get a little bit of kickback from them because of the affiliate program but i will make sure there's a link there for that also there are links to our twitter page our facebook page and our facebook group and our contact information is over there as well hey monsters in the machine uh what, what was that contact information again you can call and leave a voicemail for monster kid radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. Monsterkidradio at gmail.com is the email address. That's monsterkidradio at gmail.com. There you go. If you got something you want to share about the show, either this episode or the previous 506, feel free to call it in or write it in, and we'll talk about it on an upcoming episode of the podcast. What's coming up next week here on the show? Well, in two weeks, it's Mark Matsky and the Legend of Bucky Creek. But between now and then, next week, Stephen D. Sullivan is coming back to talk about the movie Unknown Island, which we just saw 
in the Monster Kid Astronomy Club this past Tuesday. So if you were there on Tuesday, make sure you come back here next week on Thursday for the podcast where Steve and I will be talking about the film. Of course, if you didn't get the movie on Tuesday, that's okay. Please come by on Thursday to listen to the podcast to hear us talk about the movie that you missed. And then maybe you can track it down yourself and watch it later. Either way, just come back here. That's what I'm getting at. And then, like I said, in two weeks, it's Mark Matsky. And then the week after that, I'll go ahead and tell you, Tom Gerganis from Go Forth and Game is going to be here to talk about the movie The Zombies of Moro Tau. You know, I'm not going to lie. Feels kind of good to be on top of it a little bit more than normal and know what I've got coming up on future episodes of the podcast. So that's that's nice. I like it. Once again, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next week, remember... The Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, uh, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song, What a Great Night for Fright. That is copyright 2020, The Mighty Minnows. You can find it on their album, Monster Jam, which you can pick up for yourself over at themightyminnows.bandcamp.com. They supported us by letting us play their music here on the show. Go show them a little love over there and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Sarah Kim Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week when Steve and I go to the Unknown Island. Ciao. (laughs) 